0: off episode 363 of the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear with the song longing for distance it is from the album the legacy it's actually an ep from the band beware of blast they're a surf band based out of and i've been practicing this i'm still probably gonna get it wrong kong germany it's spelled Cologne, but Cologne, Germany, that's where you can find them or go to bewareofblast.bandcamp.com and check out this release. There's four songs on here. You can buy it for four euros and it's awesome. Check it out and let them know that you heard about them here on Monster Kid Radio after you're done listening to this podcast. My name is Derek M. Cook. I want to welcome you to the show. Here's what we've got this week. We've got, we've got a lot, actually. So I hope you've got some spare time because we've got one heck of a cool conversation with my friend Anthony Wendell. Uh, Anthony is an author, a big fan of all things Big Monster, and he and I are going to talk about a kaiju film, a Godzilla film. We're going to talk about Monster Zero here on the show. So that's coming up. Before we get to that, though, I have a recording with Stephen D. Sullivan. Now, I recorded with Stephen D. Sullivan for an upcoming episode of Monster Kid Radio, and when we got done, I realized that, well, Something that came up last week was relevant to Steve. So we're going to talk a little bit with Steve about role-playing games. Uh, He is the designer of a pretty important, in my mind, monster-themed role-playing game. The conversation goes on for about 10 minutes. Now, during that conversation, not only do we talk about his involvement in, well, one of the coolest role-playing games around, talk a little bit about my own development and why it's important to me and why Steve is important. That sounds weird, but stay tuned for that conversation. In addition to that, 200 years of Frankenstein continues here on Monster Kid Radio. We're going to talk one more time about the universal Frankenstein cycle before we move on. And, well, we can never move away from the universal Frankenstein films. I mean, they're classic, they're iconic, they're important. But there's so much more to talk about Frankenstein-wise, and we're already at the end of March. So we're going to talk about that one more time. And at the end of the show, my wife Brenda is coming back to read your emails and then she and I also have a conversation that kind of goes a little off the rails in a fun way I feel like and again we start to get kind of personal and learn a little bit more about me Uh, the show's not about me the show's about classic monsters and we're going to get to all of that right after this right after this
1: Doctor, that monkey's head, is it alive? Oh, yes, of course. All you would need for me would be a brain, a human brain. Well, it's hardly that simple. Uh, buy one, steal one, I'll do anything.
2: When the brain is healthy, it will never die. For even severed from its body, it continues to live, to scheme, to plot. Look, What's must have just happened. For Karl Broussard, this means fantastic power. Now, once again, he can rule everyone and everybody, make them slaves to his venomous will. For inhuman strength, incredible might, unnatural powers, the man without a body will make your blood run cold. For it is without a doubt, without an equal, in thrills, excitement and unbearable suspense.
3: this is ruby
0: and i'm hater
3: and we host the mimiverse bonfire podcast a podcast based on christopher
4: r mim a minnesota filmmaker who's got eight films under his belt soon to be nine
5: and they're all 1950s style black and white movies
4: the podcast revolves around actors the making of the films and various other little fun bits
5: and technicians
4: <laughs> you can find us at SaintEuphoria.com
3: or like us on facebook
1: That'd be the Mimiverse Bonfire Podcast. Hope you tune in. Buried alive in each man is a strange, depraved creature that turns the soul into a battleground of sin and violence, turning life into an inferno. In Dr. Henry Jeff was this knowledge. Perhaps it was his quiet ways, his unloving wife, his simple homely face that drove him to unleash this inner presence. This was Jekyll's Inferno. Dr. Jekyll gave life to the unspeakable evil of Mr. Hyde. Rich, handsome, decadent Mr. Hyde erupted to spew adultery, viciousness, murder in the greatest macabre spectacle of all time. American International Pictures presents a fascinating new Dr. Jekyll. A terrifying new Mr. Hyde. Robert Louis Stevenson's study in terrifying evil Jekyll's Inferno in color and Megascope.
0: Okay. I misspoke at the top of the show. When I said Steve and I talked for about 10 minutes about role-playing games, actually we talk about 15, 20 minutes. So uh, if you're not a gamer, I apologize, but it's a good conversation anyway. Here we go. In last week's episode, I was talking with Jeremy Lamastus about You'll Find Out and role-playing games came up and he did some artwork for some role-playing game companies. And we mentioned that it would be great if there was a a role-playing game with all the universal monsters. And then I get a message from Steve. (laughs) 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 There is a game. And while I guess technically it is back, Chill is back. Now there is a new edition of it, but Stephen D. Sullivan worked on the original Chill role-playing game, which was designed to do the monster stuff.
6: Yeah, the original Chill and Creature Feature 2, which was the uh, the sequel where you got to play the monsters, was designed by the pacesetter staff, largely Mark Akers uh, and the rest of us, in order to emulate or to be playable with Hammer-style and Universal-style monsters and monster movie stuff. So those of you that can find the original edition of Chill, I can't speak to the new one. I know they based the new one on the second edition. I had issues with the second edition. Maybe the new one's great, maybe it's not. But I know that the first edition of Chill, the original edition of Chill and of Creature Feature, is totally playable as a Universal-monster-style game which would be a lot of fun now that's not to say that as an old game designer artist writer guy that it's not intriguing to me to maybe create a new <laughs> a new monster game of some type where you could play universal or hammer monsters or similar things to or pushing horrors monsters for that matter and i think that questions that I would ask of, of those of you out there is what would you want from that kind of a game? Would you want something where you were playing investigators or monster hunters or the monsters or all of that? How would it work for you? What kind of things do you think you might like in that kind of a game, Derek and and anyone listening to this version of the podcast?
0: Well, I can't speak for anybody else, but you know, for me as somebody who used to throw dice on a very regular basis, I haven't in years since I don't have time anymore, this whole podcast thing that I do and my spare time takes up all no. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, you know, but for me, you know, my my sweet spot when it comes to fiction, when it comes to films, when it comes to games, it's it's the coming together and fighting the monsters. It's it's being the monster hunter, the investigator That sort of thing. Listeners, uh, even though you're hearing this now, in a few weeks, you're going to hear Steve and I talk about the Rally Awards. And and one of the nominees on that ballot, spoiler, is Frida Anaschort from Return of the Vampire. And her character in that film is a Monster Hunter character. I love her. I love Peter Cushing yeah. as Van Helsing. I love the 1980s movie, The Monster Squad. I mean, I love the monster, the, the monster hunters coming together to fight the monsters. So the that's,
6: scientists from from them and the scientists yes. from Godzilla and the scientists from all those other Quatermass, 1950s, things. you know, Mass.
0: You know, I, I love yeah. that stuff. So for me, that's how I would want to go if I were to play a game. That said, I know the role-playing game market is, is very fantasy, science fiction. Super powered base, and I don't know how much fun it would be for like the general non-monster kid audience to play a bunch of dudes and dudettes running around fighting monsters if they can't <laughs> be the monsters themselves. You know what I mean? So I don't. I don't. It's know. a little bit
6: like Scooby Doo, actually.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Scooby Doo, right up there.
6: There are a couple of ways one could go with that kind of a, a game. One could go with a game where one tries to recreate the the monster movies themselves, where maybe you would play as Frankenstein and Igor. The monster and all that kind of stuff. That would be one way. The other and uh, kind of a much easier lift is to do something like a Scooby-Doo game, and that's the kind of thing that that the original edition of Chill supports really, really well. Mm-hmm. And there's there's probably a, another way you could do that in there where it would be a mix of both, where maybe you could some of you would be playing the creatures and some of you would be playing the monster hunters. That might be interesting too. And yeah. since you and I kind of mentioned that to each other online and and I heard about it in, in the podcast. And it's been kind of perking through my head. And I'm wondering if uh, there's a system that I was kind of dying to try out with a, a fantasy game system. Maybe something like that. And I, I'm not going to say any more than that. Something like that might be adaptable to a monster game too. And it, one of the things that we liked about Chill was that the, Chill was designed with a one of the first Read me now, play me first adventures, where there was a, an adventure in the chill box. You could open the chill box, pick up the dice, punch out the counters if you wanted to have the counters, uh, and use the map that was there. And read the booklet that said, read me first, play through that adventure, learn all the essential rules. So, in, in my estimation, it would be really good to have something that you could kind of just pick up and play when maybe you didn't want to do D&D or Pathfinder or a role play game, that is kind of much more serious and ongoing. The other thing, I, I suppose I should mention this too, because I've been using this system to run my Manos and Canoe Cops games that I've run at GaryCon for a number of years now and other places, is that Lester Smith, who is a great game designer, has a system he calls D6 times D6, which is a system where you multiply the two D6s that you roll together, and all your characters have only one stat, one single number that all the rolls are determined by, but then they have a number of skills, and it's a very easy, quick, out-of-the-box thing. You can actually put a, a character, an entire character for this system, and this is something I suggested to him. You could have a character card that's literally a business card sou- size that you can carry around with you in your wallet if you want to be that obsessive and can play the game with just a character sheet that's the size of a business card. That system is so adaptable that it could easily work for something like that too. And in fact, that's one of the reasons I've been using it for my monster-based games that I've run recently when I'm not running Original Chill, which is a wonderful system. And if it had still was going, I would be using that all the time. But since it's not... D6 times D6 by Lester Smith and Popcorn Press, which I used to be a part of a long time ago. That's a good way to go, too. So maybe pick that up, the uh, D6 books. I think it's uh, the base book, which has a the system in, a, I don't know, like 10 or 20 scenarios in it from various milieus. is about $15, I think, from Popcorn Press. So it's not expensive either. And if you want to spend more money, there's he's got a book that's got, I don't know. Fifty, a hundred different different milieus. It's like got a huge number of millions. If you want to spend more, but the Facebook is very inexpensive. So there's that way too. But I'm I'm also going to keep thinking about maybe maybe this strange game system I was thinking of. Maybe maybe I could apply that to monsters. Maybe there would be a way to do it where it would be very portable, and then you could have online supplementary adventures or something.
0: Mm. <laughs> and I don't know how many gamers we actually have in the Monster Kid Radio audience. So for anybody who's not a gamer, and uh, I'm sorry I made you roll your eyes for a few minutes while we talked about this, but uh, <laughs> you know, um, just on a personal note, before Steve and I became friends, Steve was an influence on me as a storyteller because of his involvement with the chill role-playing game. I, I discovered the chill role-playing game actually during the second edition. It was a, it was a used bookstore. Uh, and, and that became a very, even though I never played the game, Uh, I I just loved the milieu. I loved the setting and the idea. And I've gone back and picked up old chill supplements. And for a while there until finances became tight, I was also kickstarting some of the, uh, the newer stuff as well. Still never played chill. Never had an opportunity. Uh, one <laughs> of the things on game. my bucket list is to have Steve run a chill game for me someday. If we had all the money in the world, I'd set that up and pay him to do it. But, That's right. Uh, we'd have a little
6: monster kid commune somewhere oh, near my house. man, it'd be amazing. And we'd all be getting together and making movies and, and films and games and uh, yeah. books and all that kind of stuff and art. So, yeah, I was the art director at Pace Center. So I literally worked on everything that company put, put out, including all the ch- all the chill material. So and some a lot of which I play tested too and and attributed some ideas to though I, uh, I'm you're not going to see me on any of the design credits it was uh, it was a great time it was a great
0: it inspired me so much uh, I even <laughs> and every time I mention this Steve says boy I'd like to see it so I'm hesitant to mention it but uh, <laughs> many many moons ago when I thought I was going to be a filmmaker when I grew up. I <laughs> Taking a a video production class at the local community college. Uh, You could take the class three times for credit. I took it six. Not because I kept <laughs> failing, but because I got access to all of their editing equipment, which at the time was pretty basic. It was a hand-me-down system with a control deck in the middle, two uh, three-quarter deck machines on either side, hand-me-down from the local news station uh, in Cheyenne, Wyoming. So you can imagine the tech to begin with. And Yeah, I was
6: going to say, which is still a far cry from the yeah. Moviola and 8mm editing that I did when I was younger. I would have killed... If I had had the material that is available now when I was a oh, kid, I, film.
0: I wouldn't be saying I used to think I was going to be a filmmaker when I grew up. Right. Um, I, you yeah. know, on, right. on a very personal level, part of the reason why I stopped is because I had so many technical issues and, and problems trying to get video into a computer to edit. I just, it was, it was heartbreaking and it really killed part of my soul, but okay, let's be happy. Um, so the video production class, <laughs> Uh, the final of the year, and I knew what synopsis was ahead of time because I was friends with the teacher eventually, and she would, you know, it's the same course assignments every semester. And right, you so, do it
6: six times, they're going to know you.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the the first video you would make is a music video. Pick a song of your choosing and make a music video for it. There was a, an assignment to make a commercial of something. There was an assignment to make a mini documentary. One of the favorites was something called the nonverbal emotional assignment where you had to tell a story with no words. And that was always fun to do. And you know, that's when I made a little short movie called Shocks about two people sitting in a car running people over on the mall parking lot while the Jaws soundtrack played in the background. Um, but <laughs> awesome. the, the final was a mini movie. And every year I would try to do something bigger and bigger and bigger. And my final time taking the course, I made a mini movie inspired by some of the background material in the chill books. I called it chill. It was about four envoys, four agents, four save Fighting monsters, vampires, zombies. There was a hanged man.
6: Save as the yeah. uh, the group that they all belonged to. And it
0: was so much so, fun for those not into games. That, that was the movie I set myself on fire on. So, to, to give some context,
6: <laughs> and I still want to see I, it. Man. I was. You're going to have to put it up on Monster Kid <laughs> Radio or the Monster Conservancy. I, I got to do something
0: like with the footage. I, I've actually heard back from some of the people that were involved with that. Uh, I've lost contact with a lot of them over the years, but thanks to the internet, I've kind of reestablished. And. They've given me the okay to play some of it online, uh, which is nice. You know, it's kind of cool. My, my little brother was one of the lead characters, and I'd like to do something to kind of it, honor it, him. Do it, do it. But because this was all in a school setting, I used so much copyrighted music, man. I, I really did. Um, If you can imagine, I used the film score from the song. <laughs> I don't know why this fit, but for me the score from hard target, the Jean-Claude Van Damme movie became the primary film source <laughs> film score music for my version of chill.
6: <laughs> Do it, man. I mean, if that's all that's holding you back, Joshua Kennedy has his films that I have know. not have copyrighted scores up on YouTube and he's not profiting by hmm. them. And as long as you don't, you have the disclaimers uh, up, you should potentially, be
0: okay. Yeah. But like I said, I want to get permission from everybody who was involved though, too. I mean, it was a pretty big production. Um, Clinton, mm-hmm. one of the lead mem- actresses was uh, my very serious girlfriend at the time. And things didn't end very well when she and I ended Uh-oh. our relationship. Uh, I know she's on Facebook and she did send me a message about my brother passing, but I'm not really in contact with her. So I, I don't know if she'd be OK with me putting it up there. Um,
6: now you've told the world, though. Now you have to at least oh, try. Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, I'd love to. And it's. Let's see. When did I make that? I've been late 90s. It was, yeah, an interesting time for me. <laughs> but, you know, it was a fun little movie that I made, and, and I had a blast with it. And and if not for Steve, you know, indirectly being involved in my life in that way, that would have never happened. I know I'm laying it on pretty thick, but when I found out that Steve was involved with Chill <laughs> years ago, man, it was just like, wow, this is, you know? Yeah, you had a geek it, it, it's, <laughs> Well, it, it, it is, and I still kind of geek out about it when I think about it because – Really, that formed a big part of who I am. And man, I don't know if this is appropriate for the podcast or not, but with all of my health stuff that I've been going through, um, I feel like I've been kind of reclaiming a lot of who I used to be. And I really like it, you know, so. Cool. You know, even when I threatened to do stuff on YouTube. I feel like that's the filmmaker part of me saying yes, yes. You know, I'm March starting
6: forward, my brother. You can do this. I'm starting
0: to read more comics again, and I used to be a huge comic fan. And I'm starting to look at writing different types of things, which I used to write all the time and haven't forever. And I just the whole movie making part of me was such a big part of who I was for a long time. And, and Steve, you kind of influenced that. Cool. Thank you, man. You uncomfortable yet?
6: No, no. <laughs> it's kind of fun when people go, "Oh my God, you're that guy." And I had a moment like that at Gary con where it was like a map maker guy came up, you came to my booth and I didn't know who you were. Oh my God, you're that guy. It was a, uh, it's always kind of fun <laughs> and interesting. And yeah. I've lived long enough to see some of that. Yeah. So for those of you wanting to, to monster game original edition of chill with a Jim Holloway cover or D six times D six by Lester Smith from popcorn press, or you can wait and see if I actually come through and, Find the time, which is always at a premium now, to work on this strange new monster game idea I have that for a, uh, a quick evening role-playing game that you could just kind of pick up and play. We'll see. That's my suggestions. Right but I want to hear what people think, what they want. In it. What would you want in a monster game, a universal-style, hammer-style monster game? What would you want as a player, as people that are interested in gaming? Let us know. Post on Monster Kid Radio. Get in touch with me on Facebook. Let us know.
0: There you go. Sounds fun. Thanks for doing this, Steve. Kind of spur of the moment, but I, thank you. You're welcome. Happy to talk to you. Always. And thanks for all of your hard work on chill. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for helping me make me mean.
6: Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> the monsters are important, a really important part of my life, and they help me get through being a very, very sick child. So I never tire them, and that's one of the great joys of you know discovering Vince Rotolo's podcast— and then your podcast through that and getting back into the Monster Kid community where it's, I love being with y'all. It's, it's a great thing and I'm happy to talk to you anytime you want. And you can always find me at sdsolomon.com on Facebook or cushinghorrors.com. So,
0: you know, cool. I was going to mention that if you didn't. So, all right. Thanks, man. Yep.
6: <laughs> I am Dr. Lee
5: Cushing.
2: Welcome to my Chamber of
5: Horrors. Dr. Cushing's Chamber of Horrors is a serialized monster rally novel in the tradition of the classic Universal and Hammer horror films. It's written by Stephen D. Sullivan, the award-winning author of White Zombie, Daikaiju Attack, Manos the Hands of Fate, and the original chill role-playing game.
6: My goal is to recreate the thrills of the monster versus monster films that we all love. We'll have vampires, werewolves, mummies, psychic twins, and Scheming
5: Mad Men and that's just in the first storyline. Now you can get Dr. Cushing's Chamber of Horrors and other monster stories sent directly to your email for as little as a dollar a month. For just two dollars you'll get all the chapters in advance plus bonus stories and other perks. Sign up now at CushingHorrors.com or visit SDSullivan.com for a Patreon link. I do hope you've enjoyed your visit. Please come again and remember The chamber
2: is always waiting for its next victim.
3: Here are the seven wonders of the world rolled into one fantastic adventure. Frankenstein, born again to rule in terror. A monster unleashed to conquer all who stand in his destructive path. Frankenstein conquers the world. Spreading panic as millions flee his vengeance. Frankenstein towering over cities, defying the force of armies, the might of navies, and the fury of jets. Frankenstein, a name never equaled in the annals of terror. Frankenstein conquers the world. Stars Nick Adams as the American scientist versus Frankenstein incarnate. With the strength of a thousand men, a phenomenon such as never seen before, see Frankenstein Conquers the World, astounding on the giant screen, in color scope from American International Pictures.
4: How often has this happened to you? You're on your way home after a long day, when suddenly tragedy strikes.
1: No human mind could imagine the enormous destructive power of this maddened, killing thing.
2: Professor, there's a big lizard back there and he's heading this way. Now get aboard!
4: It's the kind of thing which can ruin your weekend. To prevent catastrophe, you need the Handbook for Surviving a Giant Monster Attack. This book features extensively researched methods to help you survive a giant monster event. You'll discover which vehicle you should use for making your escape, which method of counterattack is best for specific types of monsters.
2: Hydrogen weapons, capable of wiping cities, countries off the face of the earth are completely ineffective against this creature from the skies.
4: And what common mistakes people make while fighting back. So pick up your copy of the handbook for surviving a giant monster attack by Anthony Wendell today on Amazon. You can thank us by surviving.
7: Monster of... ...is a skyscraper. (laughs) When he moves, the whole earth quivers and quakes, and an abyss of horror opens up. See these prehistoric beasts emerge from the bowels of the earth after 200 million years to devastate mankind. Sonic jets cannot catch him. Rockets cannot stop him. Armored tanks are helpless before him. Even guided missiles are powerless. See Rodin destroy a modern city, leveling it to the earth with a killing airstream of his mighty wings. Nothing can stop him. Nothing escapes this monstrous beast of evil.
3: This is Count Vlad, but you may recognize me by my more familiar name, Count Dracula, and I'm here to offer you a friendly warning. Derek and his guests often get excited, and occasionally this results in revealing key plot points of the movies they're discussing. In your parlance, you might call these revelations spoilers. You know how the children of the night Uh, I mean, monster kids can get sometimes. So consider yourself warned, and don't come begging to me to kill them for their transgressions afterward. I have more pressing issues to take care of, like that pesky
0: van Helsing. Listeners, I'd like to tell you a little story about a hard drive I I used to have. Uh, (laughs) It's been a while, but I had this hard drive. It crashed, and while I've been able to recover almost all of the data, there's one thing that I didn't recover, that it was was lost forever. And, and I've regretted it, and I've been wanting to make it right, and then, you know, real life gets in the way. <laughs> Everybody's got day jobs and everything else. But finally, finally, I'm sitting down with my friend Anthony Wendell to talk about one of the coolest godzilla movies out there we're talking about invasion of the Astro Monster, also known as godzilla versus monster zero also known as like i said one of my favorite godzilla movies welcome back to the show to try to do this recording again sir i'm
4: back from planet x and all i got was the cure for all known diseases
0: <laughs> that needs to be a t-shirt <laughs> that needs to be a t-shirt <laughs> I'm actually writing that down. That's a great idea. <laughs> how's it been going? I mean, you and I have been chatting, so I, I want this to sound natural, but how's it been going since we've had you on the show last?
4: It's been going good. It's been going good. I, as you know, I sent you a sample of my most recent novel that I've been trying to shop around. It's
0: awesome, too, listeners. I'm just saying. It's awesome.
4: Yeah. I keep uh, trying to get the handbook known to the people of the world and. I'm still running for monkeysfightingrobots.com. I actually just did a retro – not a retro review. I did a retro review of I Killed Giants because the upcoming adaptation this Friday in March 24th, which is a terrible idea because it's uh, going to be going against – Pacific Rim Uprising, and even though I Kill Giants will have large creatures in it, too, it's just like, I'm sorry, I want to see what they do with Pacific Rim.
0: I Kill Giants, that's what, uh, a manga from...
4: Actually, it was an American comic book, just oh, was it? one in American style. It was released by Image.
0: Oh, okay, okay. I'm, I'm not familiar, okay, I'm, I'm looking, this is the best podcasting ever, you know, when the, the hosts go <laughs> and look into Wikipedia and such, in the middle of a conversation. Joe Kelly was a, one of the creators on that, and he's a great comic book writer, that's awesome, okay. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. I didn't realize there was a film coming. That's amazing. And, and good for Joe Kelly. Like, like I know him, but good for Joe.
4: <laughs> yeah, I don't think they put enough advertisement out for it. It's, it's probably going to be one of those uh, comic book movies that'll get more attention after it's out. Mm. Probably a cult classic thing. Okay. but Yeah, like I said, going against Pacific Grim, I mean, you'd never try to challenge another pop culture or fanboy. Movie on the same weekend. It just doesn't work out for the best.
0: You know, I wonder, do you know who's distributing it? I wonder if they were just trying to get it in before summer no, blockbusters hit actually. with Avengers and everything else coming. So,
4: Oh, yeah, that's, oof, Avengers. That's, gonna, looking forward that's, to gonna, that's gonna,
0: well, didn't that, ar- <laughs> welcome to the Avengers podcast, so the comic book movie <laughs> podcast. But didn't Avengers, right. in terms of like pre sale of tickets, already crush the pre sale ticket record for Black Panther?
4: I didn't hear the numbers, but I can, I would not put it past Yeah, them. which
0: says a lot because Black Panther killed it so yeah and it was awesome and it's a great film but again yeah, it's not why people are here they're here to talk no, no. they hear about the monster stuff uh and you know you're on the show though so they're here to talk about giant monsters and hear about giant monsters i'm interested now in this i killed giants though i i awesome cool i'll check it out yep. uh and let you know what i think and uh yeah you know always room for giant monster talk here on the show Uh, I did read the sample chapters of the novel you sent me, so my fingers are crossed on that. I'm not going to say what it is because, you know, we don't want to. No, no, we got got to wait. We got to
4: wait till, uh, you know, things are more in sediment and stone. Mm
0: -hmm. And the handbook, I love the handbook. I I think it's it's a great book, it's a great uh, example of what you can do with your love of giant monsters and, and putting it into a different media. You can't make a giant monster movie. Well, write a book about them and, and add your own spin and your own twist to it. There were copies of the book made available as prizes on the, the big live show over at the Kaiju cast, which I thought was kind of awesome to get some more exposure there.
4: Thank you, Kylie.
0: Very, very cool stuff. And before this conversation in this episode, I will have run the promo, you know, it's in constant rotation here. Cause I want to support what you do. Cause I love what you do, man. Big big fan of what you do.
4: Thank you kindly.
0: Uh, And and like I said, fingers and tentacles crossed for uh, the the new novel, and hopefully some publisher will bite. Yep. We haven't had John in so long, and I know we are friends on Facebook, so we chat a little bit, and we chatted before we started recording. But there's one thing that we haven't done, and I don't know. Have we ever done this with you? Have we ever played the classic five?
4: Yeah, we did play the classic five. We played it it like
0: once. Yeah, we we? played it
4: once. Though we, I think I can't remember if it was. The Giant Spider Invasion or uh, (laughs) Beast of Hollow Mountain podcast. But yeah, one of those, yeah, I have only done it once. So I'm ready for round two, especially since you said you had more cards.
0: I do have new questions, some new cards, as well as some of the older ones. I've mixed them all up. And, you know, it's one of those things that I know for a while we never did do it. Uh, We hadn't done it. So I'm, I'm excited to do round two. Are you ready to play the Classic Five again, sir?
4: I am ready.
0: All right. And, uh, you know, I know I make a big deal out of this, but now I do it especially for Christopher Page because he mentioned it on Facebook. I'm shuffling it now. I don't know if you can hear it or not. (laughs) Yes. Yes, I can. There we go. Okay. For listeners who don't know, the Classic Five is a game that we play here on Monster Kid Radio. I've got a deck of cards, and each one of these cards has a this or that, yes or no style question designed to let listeners learn a little bit more about our guests. There are no wrong answers. It's just for fun. Are you ready to play the Classic Five again? Here we go. All right, card number one. I'm going to take it straight off the top. This is one of the newer cards. What character from a classic monster movie would you like to have drinks with?
4: Ooh, that's a good one. Uh, I'm kind of torn because it's like, I'd kind of like to have drinks with a couple monsters, but also I kind of want to be have drinks with the different people that were around them to know those experiences. But off the top of my head, I got to say, the Wolf Wolfman. I got to say Talbot. I would love to have drinks with Talbot. He seems like in terms of hearing people's life stories and stuff, he would give you so much material uh, in terms of what you could bridge off of. He would just keep going on and on. Yes, you'd have to redirect him from the conversation because there might be a bit of self-loathing there. Of I just want to die. I just want to... Dude, dude, come on. Come back. Come back.
0: <laughs> yeah. Okay. I like it. See, all these questions that I have are like, That are, uh, you know, who do you want to be trapped in an elevator with? Who do you want to hang out with for a day? My answer is always going to be K from Creature from the Black Lagoon, just because I'm a one-track mind kind of guy when it comes to that kind of stuff. But I I can respect the Wolfman, the Lawrence Talbot. I think that would be, it would be interesting to get him talking Mm -hmm. until he had too much in him. And then it would be, yeah, yeah. All right, all right, cool. Card number two, what is your favorite Vincent Price film?
4: Mm, Vincent Price films... I don't know them off the top of my head, uh, as my, well as other people, but, uh, I just love, I, I, his voice alone is, you know, enthralling, but, uh, let's see off the top of my head with the ones that I know he did. I've got to say probably the original house of wax.
0: He's great in that it really is.
4: Oh, totally creepy. It just, yeah, of course I now, uh, Always, there's a couple of them I still need to see. Like, if it's just for a second, I have to say, because of my love of Frankenstein, I do have to give him as being the invisible man in uh, Evan Kinsella Meet Frankenstein.
0: <laughs> nice little cameo there at the end. Oh, yep. yes,
4: yes. Also, uh, apparently he was in a Three Musketeers adaptation as Richelieu. That sounds awesome. That sounds awesome. I haven't heard about this one. Yeah. Until uh, double checking his Wikipedia, just as I'm talking here, because I had a brain fart on Vincent Price movies. But but yeah, a Three Musketeers with uh, Vincent Price as uh, the villain, I want to see that. that. That might actually become my favorite really quickly.
0: What, what year good, was that? Just to say?
4: 1948, actually. I love I love a good uh, Three Musketeers. And frankly, and sadly, they haven't done a good one, you know, despite their efforts. They haven't had anything since. Uh, the Disney one with uh, Chris O'Donnell and Charlie Sheen. I said good ones, mind you. Uh, I don't want to count the the well, the one, the Musketeer, that one where they got the guy from Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon for the action scenes. Those were good action scenes. Bad story, but good action scenes. Okay,
0: I don't think I ever saw and that one actually. The
4: Three Musketeers with uh, Paul Thomas Anderson, where he made the entire thing steampunk, was way too goofy.
0: I didn't see that one either, but I was interested just to see the take on it. But, yeah, it did look a little. I think the last one I saw in the theater would have been the Disney. And now I've got that everything I would do. I mean, I do for you. Song stuck in my head. So thanks, man.
4: It's a good song. It's a good song.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Moving on. Moving on. Card number three. Uh, and this is actually from the green deck. And, you know, that means it's about kaiju. Oh, What's your favorite kaiju era? Showa, Heisei, or Millennium? I got to go Heisei. Okay.
4: You know, the Gamera Trilogy and my favorite uh, Godzilla film being Godzilla vs. Biolanti, I can't help but love it. It is followed by Showa, though. I don't go straight to Millennium. Millennium, uh, it's just so broken, I feel the Millennium series is. It's just so... Trying to throw, you know, rewrite, everyone is, oh, no, nothing else happened except original Godzilla, you know, throwing ideas at the wall, trying to see what stick s- style of filmmaking it was just, I just wasn't feeling it. Mm-hmm. But Heisei, closely, only a little bit above Showa. Okay. Showa, I, ne- I never, uh, I love lots of films from Showa, it's just, the ones I rewatch over and over again are Heisei. I love Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla 2. I love the diamond coating look of the new Mechagodzilla. I love the Heisei Gamera, like I said. I like the first two Mothra movies of his trilogy. Okay. Unfortunately, the third one had him facing off against Ghidorah by himself, and I'm like, nope, nope. And I'm not saying I'm not using the wrong pronoun, by the way, listeners, yes. They make sure to point out the Mothra in the trilogy is a he.
0: Yeah, they do, which seems so odd considering the history, but yeah,
4: I, call, I called. Yeah, I called in and said that long ago in yeah. a voicemail that, yeah, that yeah, the Mothra in the beginning is a mother. They do the once again dies and the new Mothra is born has to take over situation, but they make sure to point out that once the Mothra does his cocoon transformation, he comes out and is named Mothra Leo making sure to point out that this mothra which survives the entire trilogy is a male and is holding on to the entire film trilogy carrying it and it's just like really you finally give mothra her own movie and you make sure to point out this offspring is a male
0: so for listeners who don't know the, the three eras and and would you say we're in a fourth era now i mean I, i've heard where we're at now they've called like the legendary era
4: well, we gotta come up with a new era eventually. I mean, we got to, well, we got the monster verse for what we can call. I wouldn't go straight to legendary. I'd call it the monster verse because that is what stuck. Okay. Uh, we need to figure out something now that uh, Shin Godzilla was has come, and I really don't want Shin Godzilla because it's really good. I don't want it associated with the Millennium Films with, like I said, their throw something in the wall and try to make it work style of filmmaking. They put their heart and soul into Shin Godzilla. Yeah, I
0: loved Shin Godzilla. I know it's kind of polarizing, but I loved it.
4: And I'd use Shinsei, which was a, you know, new era uh slang as the description for it, but I've heard that as another way of saying millennium too. So, okay. yeah, we need a fourth uh era title for what will happen to include Shin and everything beyond for now. We we could roll it into the Monsterverse, but Monsterverse is kind of be in, in continuity. I'd call it. I'd be safe with saying Legend Verse, but then that just seems like you're still trying to exclude Shin. So, listeners, if anyone else is uh, out there, yeah, let's put our brains together. We need a new name for this era. I like that.
0: Yeah, listeners, let's give us some ideas. It'd be nice to to come up with something. Showa being the earliest, you know, which I I adore the Showa stuff so much, and I know it's got a lot of problems uh, in terms of continuity that. Something that you've actually kind of worked up and trying to get published <laughs> regarding the Heysay stuff, but I love the Heysay stuff too. I love that they actually tried to make it a story, even though it's got a lot of problems. They tried to connect them all, uh, but I love the show of stuff so much. I really do. I mean, that's what we're talking about today. So,
4: uh-huh.
0: and anyway, okay. Card number that was card number three. Card number four. Ah, it's a, It's got a globe on the card, which means it's a universal question. What is your favorite karloff Legosi universal collaboration?
4: Oh, uh, okay. Well, which Karloff-Lugosi Frankensteins did they do together? Because I figured offhand.
0: Well, they only did the one. They did Sun, and that's it.
4: Then I've got to say Sun.
0: Okay.
2: 20 years ago, in the barony of Frankenstein, a monster created by man stalked through the country, meaning and killing. In time, Frankenstein, maker of the monster, died. The monster disappeared. Now, after 20 years, the son of Frankenstein returns. And fear grips the village anew. A man tainted by the blood of his father can forget his human soul and carry on the diabolical work of the Frankensteins. As a man, I should destroy him. But as a scientist, I should do everything in my power to bring him back to conscious life. Benson, turn on the generator. Produced on a vast scale... Universal son of Frankenstein presents the most fearsome cast in the history of the screen. Vassal Rathbone, in his heart, warm human emotions, in his mind, the monster mania. It's alive. Alive, you mean? Yes, alive, but alive. I thought you said our experiments. But... I know, I know. I do thought that we failed, but we haven't. I've actually seen it walk. Karloff, rising from the past to spread new terror. Dugosi, sinister, mysterious, evil. You'll see that. They hanged me once. Lionel Atwill, grim hatred in his blood. One doesn't easily forget, Herr Baron, an arm torn out of the roots. Josephine Hutchinson, her young beauty a magnet to the menace around her.
8: I hate it here, Wolf. I'm terribly afraid all the time.
1: By heaven I think you're a worse fiend than your father? Where is this monster? Where is he? I'll stay by your side until you confess. And if you don't, I'll feed you to the villagers. I've
4: got to say, son, because I'm still trekking through my Universal collection. I actually got the, for Christmas, I got the total Universal box set, but I've only gone through my monster of monsters, which is the Frankenstein monster and saw the all-movies in his saga, so I need to go back and watch them all. But right now, it's going to be hard, too, to uh, dethrone Son of Frankenstein. Okay. It really is uh, a perfect mixture of continuing the story and at the same time building great atmosphere. And I told you, and I called in and explained my headcan of thinking, <laughs> Baron Frank. It, it really makes sense of explaining Baron Frankenstein gave the town money. They renamed it in his honor, but they still couldn't get back past the fact that the son and now son of the son are probably demented individuals.
0: <laughs> A lot of politics at play here. Yeah. <laughs>
4: yeah, Despite all the paying all that money for the PR campaign, it didn't work. And, and the villagers are still scared of him.
0: <laughs> Have you seen the black cat? Not yet. Oh, dude. That, that film, and, and I, I hate overhyping some of these movies that, that people haven't seen yet, but The Black Cat is beautiful, and the performances by Karloff and Lugosi are so good. So when you do eventually get to it, I'd love to hear your thoughts on it.
4: Okay, I'll add to the list.
0: <laughs> yeah, because, you know, we don't have enough to watch. Amen. Says okay. <laughs> so the guy who's like, gee, what common writer can I watch now, you know, <laughs> before we started recording. <laughs> oh. I still have Ultraman to catch up on. All right. Final card, what is your favorite classic monster movie sequel?
4: I got to do it. You've heard it a million times before, Bride. Bride of Frankenstein is still a phenomenal movie, almost better than the original. Wow. Watching it for the first time as I was doing the saga recently, and people talking about—I heard some. I heard you, the last person you had in the— show criticized the scene with uh, Pretorius and pulling out little creations as comical.
0: Uh-huh.
4: I was creeped out by that. It's just like he made all that and he's just keeping them in jars. This man is twisted.
0: <laughs> you know, not the, the the books overall were all that great, but a few years ago, Dark Horse licensed the universal monsters and released a handful of novels. Uh, one based on Frankenstein, one based on Wolfman, one based on Creature, uh, with mixed results. The the one based on Frankenstein had the Frankenstein monster running into Jack the Ripper. The Creature from the Black Lagoon one was like a sci-fi time travel story, which actually was very interesting. But there was one based on The Bride of Frankenstein, and in it, the bride and all those little humanoculi that he had created are on the run from Pretorius, and it's... No, this story's not great the book's not great but just it was interesting to see that because you're right I mean it's kind of horrifying these these are these lifelike things these are living beings and he's created and they spend all their time in these little bell jars and that's it and and that's that's got to be one miserable existence so good stuff well that is the classic five sir how do you feel
4: I'm good I'm good and ready to keep going
0: right on well we're gonna keep going because we've got. I'm gonna say it's one of my favorite monster Godzilla kaiju films from this era. We've got a movie to talk about, sir, and it's known by a couple of different titles. I think I mentioned it already at the top of the show, Invasion of the Astral Monster, which I believe was the Japanese title. No. And then Godzilla vs. Monster Zero, which is the giant American Monster Zero.
8: Do you see anything?
2: From a planet 50 million miles beyond the stars came a strange message. Lend us your Rodan and Godzilla to fight our Monster Zero. Earth answered, and the most dreaded creatures ever to walk our planet are lifted into outer space. The stage is set for the mightiest battle ever seen by the universe in Monster Zero. All forces on Earth ready to attack. What started out as a call for help from space turns into a nightmare of
0: terror on Earth, Monster Zero. Were they both released in the same year here? No, they weren't, were they? It took a few years no, to get this, release released in the U.S., In it?
4: Yep. And it's just, like, tied, basically, with Godzilla vs. Biollante as my favorite. And
0: wow. Frankly, okay. it,
4: this because this was my first Godzilla movie. Really? Yes, it was. I saw it back on February... 18th, 1994. How
0: did you, how do you know that?
4: <laughs> I know that because back in the cause I'm because back in the day I was watching Lois and Clark, the new adventures of Superman. Okay. And I remember the episode that played that weekend and I had seen it. Uh, it was actually the 19th. I saw it on that Saturday. I had my grandma would take me to the video store because when I was at my grandma's place, we'd always go to the video store. And thanks to, Warner Brothers cartoons, Looney Tunes, Tiny Tunes. They kept mentioning something called Godzilla. Someone told me he's a giant monster. He's a giant dinosaur. I'm like, that sounds cool. <laughs> and I, and there at the store, I found Godzilla versus Monster Zero, and the rest is history.
0: That's that's amazing. You know, I I have these. Keystone monster movies in me you know, Creature and, and From the Black Lagoon and so on But I can't tell you exactly the first Time I saw these things it, it, Eventually they just kind of feel like they've always Been there but to be able to pinpoint it Down and know this is the day my world changed That's awesome that's what, do, you, do you have like a little celebration every year On that day you sit and watch the movie again I, I, I know I would but
4: just, you know. I should I really should <laughs> I, I missed it this Year though I was uh, I think I was working on the 19th But yeah I really It was good It holds a special place in my heart. And rewatching it recently, it was really good.
0: Right on. You know, I like this movie for a number of different reasons. I mean, I love the story. I love the uniforms of the villains. I love Rodan. Oh, yes. And I love Nick Adams. Nick Adams, for me, I mean, I I know I talk a lot about John Agar. He's my guy. Mm Mm-hmm. But I tell you, man, I want a story in which John Agar and Nick Adams are cruising across the country, Route 66 style, fighting monsters. I wish there was more Nick Adams genre work to enjoy before. Uh, unfortunately, he passed away before he, he did a lot in that field. But man, I love that guy so much. I oh, love yeah. him in, in uh, the previous film that he did for Toho. But I this one for me, I just I dig him so much.
4: Yeah, it really is a shame he didn't do more kaiju work. He's so great in both performances. Mm-hmm. And we should probably uh, say, listeners, last year we were doing our best to try to re-record. Yes. This. We know we're a little late to get in on the tributes because last year we bought, we lost the actor who played the controller, Yoshi Tsuchiya, and uh, the original Godzilla suit actor, Haru Nakajima, both passed away and we, you should see our uh, Facebook messages. We are just racking our brains over and over again trying to set up a date to re-record to give them the homage that, trying to get in-year
8: mm-hmm. memorial
4: homage to them because we wanted so badly to give them the respect they deserve and it, unfortunately real life just got in the way too much. But yeah, It was torturing us yeah. actually to not be able to give That's how much we love this film and how much it is a part of us. We were tortured by not being able to sit down and re-record the episode that was lost to the ether to give these two actors the respect they deserve.
0: I was really disappointed by it and felt like I was actually on a personal level. I felt like I was letting you down, man, because I know you wanted to do it so much and I wanted to do it so much. I felt like I couldn't make my schedule work. So thanks for saying something and addressing it. It was a
4: mutual thing. It was a mutual thing. We really tried our best, but it just – I look at it, yeah, the last November through the new year, like the first week of the new year, it was insane.
6: Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah, it was insane. So, yeah, we're finally sitting down to record and give it the respect it deserves. But, yeah, just we wanted to do it much earlier.
0: Yeah, we really did. Um, I mean, there's a lot to love about the movie uh, on its own. So, I mean, it's something we could talk about at any time. But we really did try to to make it happen last year. So, you know, that all said – there are some amazing people in this movie that we've lost, unfortunately, and uh, thanks to to them, we have this this awesome movie that I, I enjoy so much, and uh, that Anthony enjoys so much. So it's yeah, I don't know where to go from there. Um, <laughs> but it's it's good stuff. I mean, they they gave us some amazing work to go back and, and look at and enjoy. I want to go back to Nick Adams real quick. One of the reasons why I like him so much in this film is I love the back and forth, the camaraderie, the chemistry between him and Akira Takarada. Yeah. I, I think it's easy to look at Nick Adams, and especially if you start to dig a little bit, you see the he had an affair with somebody, he really liked his leading ladies, you know, all this other stuff. But, you know, get rid of all that. Forget all that. This movie, I think, really thrives whenever Nick and Akira are on screen together. They're back and forth, you know. There's this, I'm not going to say bromance, but there's like this buddy kind of thing going on.
4: I'd go full bromance. I'd go full bromance. Would you? Despite his hangups of maybe being a little bit too emotional or affectionate, let's go affectionate with his uh, crew members, you know, there's at least a connection there. You know, you can see it. He was trying to be friendly with everyone, Mm -hmm. even though he was an American working with a Japanese cast. He's trying his best to bond with everyone. You know, a little bit of American sensibilities of, you know, being a little bit more overly friendly or in some points, loud where it needs to be you know he's angry when he needs to be they've got a great bromance he's got a great romance with uh mm-hmm. kumi Muzuno's character fuji wouldn't be uh as memorable if he didn't have glenn to play off
0: yeah that's true that's
4: I mean, true i mean i mean it's the straight man and the funny man situation of comedy you know one someone's <laughs> got to be the uh guy that's got his uh, nose to the book and keeps you on the grindstone. The other one's got to be the, come on, we can do it. I know we can. Let's just, let's push <laughs> through. We got this.
0: <laughs> that's totally and that's Nick I mean, Adams in this. Like, come
4: yeah, that's, on. Yeah, that's totally me, which, rewatching watching it, I did wonder when he says, hey, buddy, come on. We got to go. And they just go for a drive in the middle of nowhere. At that point, was Glenn really that suspicious and that freaked out? of the zillions hit a drive to the middle of nowhere because he was afraid of being overheard. Huh? I just noticed that it's just like, instead of having that talk of dude, I'm a little concerned about this. They drive to the middle of nowhere towards the bungalow where he and, uh, Namikawa stayed while they were on their trip together, which also like to point out, you know, sixties film where there's a subtext of he had a, premarital relation with his girlfriend Mm -hmm. wow you know that's uh you know trying to starting to push the boundary a little bit there
0: you know especially for the time when uh 65 in japan yeah that's uh that's a little progressive right i mean it is very interesting you know it's easy to look at these movies and say oh giant monsters isn't that cool and and make no mistake it is very cool (laughs) But oh, I, yeah. I feel like some of the better ones are the movies where you can find the connections of the relationships and just enjoy the story when the monsters aren't jumping around and breaking everything, right? And that's one of the things I like about this film is I, lo- I love Glenn uh, so much in this film, Glenn and Fuji hanging out. you know, I, I love the relationship that they have as friends. I-, I like the inventor character and I like the inventor trying to get the acceptance of the Big Brother. I, I-, I love so much about this film. And I love that there aren't a lot of differences between the Japanese and American release. I mean, there's a little bit, but not very much. So regardless of which version you watch, it's still basically the same thing.
4: Just a couple lines that are different. Even then, it's just like, it's more of a, nothing is ruined. It's just moments that seem to play better on either side.
0: Right. We we don't have a Godzilla and Godzilla King of the Monsters moment here. I mean, it's pretty much, No, 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 no.
4: Yeah, it's, it's little moments. I mean... I like the Japanese uh, dub of them saying cure for cancer over cure for all known diseases. It just seems more plausible. You know, just the drug that they can cure cancer seems like more of, oh, this will cure everything. You know, right. it seems less company. You know, it's uh, it's more scientific of we have the technology and we found a cure for cancer. OK, that's more believable of this drug will say it will make you super happy and nothing will be wrong ever.
0: And I wonder if some of that has to do with the intended audience, too. I mean, for better or worse, as the Godzilla movies kind of continue, they they start to shoot lower and lower in terms of demographic. And this was released in the U.S. What, in the 70s, in 1970, I believe. And at that point, it, are the Godzilla movies kind of aimed at a younger audience? So is it easier to just say, it cures all diseases versus it cures cancer? And then having little Timmy go home and say, Dad, what's cancer? You know? <laughs> right. <laughs> so I wonder if some of that is, But either way, it's not enough to kind of change the movie overall. I mean, the, the music is mixed a little differently and I'm, I'm kind of sensitive to that because I'm a film score guy. But, but other than that,
4: But on the flip side of things, uh, with the the American dub, I I prefer uh, his reaction to when Namikama is eliminated. It seems like he got away with the most G-rated way of uh, (laughs) saying, screw you guys. You know, he said, you rats. I mean, he says (laughs) so much venom in his voice of, he is angry over you killing his girl.
0: (laughs) You rats. Yeah. Um, I actually watched the American dub Same. in preparation for this. I've watched the subtitled. I've watched the Japanese release Both. repeatedly, yeah. but you know, I wanted to watch the American dub this time. And I think mostly because I wanted to get Nick Adams is that's his real voice in the American yeah. dub, isn't it? I
4: believe so. Yes. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I just wanted to get a little bit more Nick Adams and <laughs> having the Nick Adams voice deliver that you rats was just awesome. Yeah.
4: It really is one of the best dubs too. I mean, you know, no voice is grading. Every voice sounds appropriate for the character and neither side say Godzilla, which has <laughs> been one, one too many times in even later dubs. I believe I just heard listening to the Kaiju cast, them mentioning, uh, seeing the dub versions of all the Heisei. I've seen the more subtitled. Thanks to, uh, <coughs> bootlegs. It was back in the day. People, I had to, th- I just, I have the DVDs now, but still
0: you do what you got to do, man. All right.
4: But, uh, Yeah, they use Godzilla in the Sony dub and just like, really? You know, you could give the 70s away with doing that. Whatever dubbing house they use to do that should be shot in the foot. I mean, just like, come on, Godzilla, really?
0: Now now I want to see like a a fan parody version of the Blue Oyster Cult song Godzilla done as Godzilla, though. I I want to hear that.
4: (laughs) Oh, yeah, you can throw in all the bad uh, dub lines. Banana oil. Yes,
0: banana oil. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, nobody says Godzilla, which is not... <laughs> uh, it is a good dub. You know, with some of the dubs, especially if it's a, a, a movie that didn't have the highest budget to begin with and even less money for the dubbing, there's this tendency to... Uh, the dubbing sounds, a lot of times, like they're yelling unnecessarily. Very, very loud and over the top when they don't really need to be. And I feel like, at least through some of the earlier... Toho films, monster movies like this, they they really work to try to keep that in check. And I don't know if that's just a natural thing that happens when you get somebody in the dubbing studio, but I appreciated it very much in this. It, it does work. You're absolutely right. And they, they may not match the lips exactly, what dub really does, but it's not so jarring that you're, you're caught up on that. I mean, you're wrapped up in this story. The performances, the voice work is really good. Uh, we've talked a lot about some of the elements in the movie. I want to do a real brief uh, kind of overview of the film. It's the sixth Godzilla movie uh, to come out from Toho. It's not the first time we've seen King Ghidra or Ghidorah or however you want to pronounce it this time around. Because uh, I feel like they did kind of bounce back and forth a few times. <laughs> it's not the first time you see Rodan. It, it does seem to be in continuity with the other movies. When Ghidra shows up, everybody knows who he is. So it's like, oh, that's Ghidra. Yes, but we call him Monster Zero here. You know, it's 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 Ghidra. They know who he is. Mm-hmm. Gwen and Fuji are a couple of astronauts sent off to examine or investigate this this new planet that's been found. They call, you ready for it? It's a great name. Very creative. Planet X. Uh, And they go to investigate that, and that's where they run into these aliens. Anthony's already mentioned what they're called, the Zillions, which uh, starts with an X for Planet X. And I love the way the Zillions look. I love those uniforms so much. If I was skinny enough, if I was in shape and I was into cosplay, I would dress up as one of those and go to, like, G-Fest or something.
4: Oh, yeah, that would be, uh, be awesome.
0: Very, very cool. I think even August Ragona uses uh, an image of that as his avatar on Facebook or Skype or somewhere. I see him use that quite a bit. It's iconic. It's great. Have the Zillions shown up anywhere else? Do you know?
4: I'm um, trying to remember. What did they call the – got to look up uh, a while since I watched it. Uh, Godzilla Final Wars, I think.
0: There's probably a reason why this has been a while since you yeah, watched it. Yeah, I mean, them.
4: well, yeah, Godzilla Final Wars was not the best. Uh, <laughs> what, what did those – what did they call, oh, no. They were officially the Zillions but not from Planet X. In Godzilla Finalist. I knew it, yeah. Okay. And they had a Controller X.
0: Yeah. yeah. They don't look nearly as cool, though.
4: Now, their monster, though, Monster X, who becomes Death Ghidorah, he was cool. He was like the one the cool—oh, Kaiser Ghidorah, I mean. He was—the monsters just couldn't save the movie, though. Too, much, too many Matrix references.
0: I was going to say, it feels like a Matrix X-Men wannabe, and let's throw some giant monsters in there. But— Anyway, it's uh, <laughs> a mess. So the zillions, and they present themselves as uh, benevolent, as, as buds. You know, we'd like to borrow your monsters zero 01 and zero 02 to fight our monster zero, and uh, we're going to give you the cure to all diseases or cancer. Zero 01 and zero 02 are what they call Godzilla and Rodan, and, and I'm confused. Okay. What right does the Earth have to say, yeah, borrow our monsters? Um, <laughs> it's Godzilla and Rodan. I kind of get the impression they can come and go wherever they want as they please. Does does do they have to have Earth's permission or or Japan's permission to to take him off world? I mean, I think Godzilla can fend for himself if he's not being manipulated, right?
4: It's the whole minute setup thing. It's the whole they weren't leaving things to chance. They needed to move their plans slowly because they. It's revealed that they have control over Zero, uh, King Ghidorah. I've always said, can wise the reason that they do this and not just you know just take the monsters and do that is because they need Godzilla and Rodan to implant something. So the brain control works properly. And the reason they don't do it right off is because they've discovered that Tetsuo, the younger brother, the guiding the sister of the younger sister of Fuji, the astronaut has created the lady guard alarm, which could be their (laughs) kryptonite.
0: The lady guard alarm, oh um, man! You know, it just feels like you know it's that whistle that you know the women have in their purse at night when they're in the parking lot. They don't
4: want to get yeah. Anyway, yeah. Which again, how does he? How does Fuji poo poo this? I mean, you know, I mean, it's probably a in the moment situation, but just like it's like looking at the calculator and say, oh, people will never use this. They've got abacuses. I mean, seriously, people have those thing. A similar device is now, like you said, been miniaturizes now on people's keychains. For personal protection, we use uh, it's an invention that had become that has become a particular part of human society to the point that it makes perfect sense looking back for it to be a great idea. So he said, "Oh, pff, the spoon. <laughs> Who's ever going to use a spoon? We got chopsticks." <laughs>
0: Well, isn't that the best thing about some of these science fiction movies, though, is certain things kind of work their way out of the film into reality? I mean, how many things from the original Star Trek do we use now or have versions of now? I mean, it, that's one of the cool things, right? I'm not saying that kaiju movies are the best progenitor of what, what what's to come uh, technology-wise. I mean, we don't have...
4: We'll have those Mazer Canons. Well, we'll have them soon enough. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, cinema has always shown us the future. I mean... They I once remember them a documentary talking about James Bond. He had a car phone, you know, they thought it was a spy gadget. And then within 30 years we had car phones.
0: Yeah? So there you go. Look to Kaiju films for the future, right? There you go. So he's got this this thing. And and the impression that I got watching it this time around is that Fuji doesn't necessarily downplay him or denigrate him because of what he designed. But because he didn't make any money out of it, and it seems like he – and he flat out says, you're not, not going to be it's able to handle the, my you – know, take care of my sister. There, there's this, this big brother watching out for his sister make sure she's going to be it's okay. The,
4: it's the – your boyfriend has a band, and even though he might actually have a pretty good setup or might have actually done some pretty good stuff, he's still not in a position where he's making enough money to support you. I'm looking out as a family member because I love you.
0: (laughs) I'm glad I was already married by the time I started podcasting uh, just because of that. Oh, you're marrying a podcaster. Now, anyway, uh, (laughs) so you introduce the inventor this way, and and he does become important. And that's something else that I like about this movie is it's, it's kind of lean. Nothing really gets introduced that doesn't become important later, and it's never quite Hitch over the head with it. It's not, hey, pay attention to this device. We were talking earlier in minor spoiler uh, for a movie that's in theaters now. uh, Anthony and I both saw Black Panther, and we mentioned it briefly off mic, just kind of warming up and catching up with each other. There are a couple of moments in Black Panther, as much as I love it, where it's very obvious they're setting something up for a big reveal or twist later. Not going to spoil it, but I'm going to call it. I'm not going to even say what it is because I don't want to call it out. But, but there is a moment in the movie earlier where they're explaining to the outsider, this is what this thing does, and it works this way. And they give us a big shot of it, close up, so you know exactly what it is. And then later on in the movie, it comes up again. And it, it's kind of obvious. And maybe it's obvious to me because I've seen so many movies and I analyze them that way. But I feel like in this movie uh, that we're talking about today, even though the invention is important, it's not hitch over the head and make sure you pay attention to this, folks, because it's going to come up later. It's Chekhov's lady guard alarm. You know, it's not... You know what I mean? It seems subtle. It seems like it was handled well. Does that make sense? Am I just babbling and need more coffee?
4: It feels like it was... It's not given enough attention, but it seems important enough that... It's not Chekhov's gun level, but I think it's showcased enough that you're questioning why do they keep coming back to it. Right. Is there... Another term that's not like you know Chekhov's gun of planting something there, but a term for a device which does turn out to be more important than you gave it credit for. Is there like a diet Chekhov's gun or something?
0: <laughs> Chekhov's gun light. That's <laughs>
4: yeah, yeah. It's, it's Chekhov's gun light.
0: Visioning commercials for like diet Chekhov's gun now, but it, it does come up and and it is important because ultimately that is a big part of the reason why. The good guys win. I mean, the Zillions, they take Godzilla, they take Rodan to Planet X, ostensibly to fight Ghidra, and we later learn, no, that's not what's really going on here. Uh, The Zillions are really up to no good, and as Anthony said, there's some mind control stuff that they're trying to get in place here. They're going to control Godzilla, Rodan, uh, and Ghidra to have them (laughs) destroy the Earth if the Earth doesn't surrender to them, which seems kind of... We want your planet. We want you to surrender to us. But if you don't surrender, we're going to destroy everything, and nobody will have it. Okay. All right.
4: Well, like, well, like <laughs> they said, you know, uh, like Namikawa said, she's trying to explain to Glenn. They'll take they'll take you as a slave, and I don't want you to be a slave. You can marry me instead. So they kind of would prefer all of humanity to bow before their whims. Mm-hmm. So, in an effort to make sure that they could get a l- workforce, they want the planet, but they don't necessarily have to destroy everything in the process.
0: I like the relationship and the performances that come from uh, Nick Adams and Kumi Mizuno as he discovers that she's actually a zillion and she's been spying and all that. I, I still like the relationship, even though he finds out she's kind of betrayed the planet, but you know she's in love with him and let's run off and be married. And even though his uh, let's keep it G rated upset, Rats. You rats! Know, I, I still like. I still see the hurt. You know And the yeah, it, there's all the betrayal and the hurt and she just lost her and
4: it, it, it's it's more. It's a better. I've seen worse reaction to death in. American cinema. I mean, you know, hailed American cinema. I have seen worse reactions than than his reaction to seeing Kumi gone.
0: And the first time I saw this, and I don't know when it was, I can't remember, but the first time I watched this and that happened, I was shocked. I was stunned that they just flat out murdered her in front of him. It, It blew my mind. I was not expecting that in this film because I was expecting, we're further along in the series, things are being aimed at kids a little bit more they murdered this woman in front of everybody and we saw it happen. And it, it really kind of shocked me. What was your reaction the first time you saw it? Do you remember?
4: I don't remember at the time. I remember it was impactful. I was just like, wow, she's gone.
0: And of course, there's a little bit of me that's like, well, it's a science fiction movie. They're aliens. Maybe they can bring her back. You know, but nope. She's gone. She gone.
4: I think I was hoping that actually, I think I was hoping that's like, did she get teleported? Is that teleportation rate? She'll be coming back. Right? right. Right. And at the end of the movie, it's just like, she's gone.
0: She's gone. Oh,
4: crap. That stinks.
0: Yeah.
4: I think I actually had a more of a downbeat of, uh, of, of, uh, her being gone more than it was a downbeat for not having a, enough of a, yeah, we totally won moment for Godzilla and Rodan after defeating Ghidorah.
0: That's true. So, I
4: mean, I mean, that wasn't as I would have preferred a better, uh, yeah, we won. Woo. Moment for them. But, yeah, it really felt more like it really hurt more that. Wait, she's not coming back? I was only like, let's see, ninety. I said ninety-four, right? I believe so. Uh, so yeah, I was yeah, I'm under twelve. I wasn't uh, allowed to watch as many R-rated or violent movies growing up, so mm-hmm. I really kind of preferred when the cast would stay alive <laughs> to the end. So yeah, to see it happen, I'm just like, wait, wait, she's not coming back? No, 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 magic magicy doohickey will something use use
0: science use the science yeah
4: use the science somehow (laughs) clone her again clone an entire army of that sweet sweet lady
0: (laughs) yeah glenn wouldn't want to know what to do with himself with that anyway um yeah Uh (laughs) uh ultimately obviously um the good guys are going to win, and the, we've already kind of mentioned a little bit that the invention, the Lily Guard alarm, is able to disrupt uh, the Zillion's technology. So they're able to use that to to break out of their captivity because they've taken Glenn. It seems Glenn and the inventor when Tetsuo was there, Akira yeah. wasn't captured with them though, right? No. Yeah, so it's just so. So they're able to break out, and they're able to disrupt the control over all three monsters, which. I wouldn't want to be anywhere near that confrontation because I have a lot of healthy respect for King Ghidra, Godzilla, and Rodan. So, yeah, uh, the Zillions end up uh, losing out quite a bit.
4: The English dub said something about, we will teleport to the future or something. Yeah. Which I really thought that, you know, they could have used that storyline again, or they could... uh, I don't want to say that connects to Final Wars. as they're, million, They
0: teleported to Final Wars, man. Yeah.
4: But I think it was more that, uh, you know, I really, it would be a project, but I almost want to sit down and make a continuity for uh, connecting the aliens. Just like somehow, some kind of little thing about the zillions, the cockroach aliens, the uh topians the black holians all just seem like there could be just like that single lane. I know they all want earth and they eventually fight Godzilla as seeing him as the dominant force standing in their way. But it just seems like there's just like a little bit more and it could be more closely knit.
0: Actually, it makes me think of a project. I might be able to. Huh.
4: <laughs> Thanks
0: a lot, bud. I like, I need more on my plate right now.
4: <laughs> reaching the choir, reaching the choir. But, yeah. uh, in terms of, uh, since we're talking about future movies and we can safely say that the zillions were reused in final wars. I'd also like to point out a note. I uh, got this time around watching it was the line tiger at the front door. Wolf in the back was used similarly in Godzilla vs. Destroya, where Godzilla appears and Destroya combines into a deadlier form. They're like choosing between Godzilla and destroyers, which is a tiger or a lion or something but still basically the same huh. uh, idea could've been even the same line you know just bad uh translation but yeah it just seems like that was another callback this
0: a film, nice little connection oh yeah this film know.
4: really helped to influence a lot of future both american and future toho movies yeah they really knocked it out of the park and well i don't want to say slump for a while after it but it took him a while to catch back up to help Godzilla find his second win niche. Really, after this film,
0: yeah. And you know what I like about this movie is that, I mean, it really is one of the the highlights, one of the top. Like I said, it's one of my favorite Godzilla movies. Period. Uh, it, it is right up there at the top. It really does put Godzilla at, at you know in prominent. And I love that they do that with Rodan too. I love Rodan. I really do love the first Rodan film. I think it's great. When Rodan turns up again, I'm not as enamored with him. Um, You know, I feel like he looks a little goofy. Uh, I just, i just not a big fan of him. But I feel like they kind of return him to a place of respect in this film. So I really enjoyed Rodan's appearance and role in this movie a lot.
4: You don't get Rodan again until Destroy All Monsters. And even though people hail the monster bash of... Everyone fighting King Ghidorah, in destroy all monsters, and your boy Rodan is there. Yeah, you got a blink and you miss it moment with them. I mean, yeah, it's cool. Oh, everyone's there, but just like everyone just gets like one hit except for Godzilla, and just like okay, King Ghidorah could actually use some backup here. I mean, it's not. <laughs> but you know, I, mean, I know he's supposed to be the killer among killers and the arch villain, but yeah, it seems like this fight's a little one-sided. Yeah. I mean, right after this was *Ebora: Horror of the Deep, which, oh, uh, that movie.
0: Oh, you're not a fan? See, I like that one a lot.
4: I, I just, I can't like it once I've known the truth.
0: <laughs> what is the truth?
4: It originally was a script for... Oh, me. okay, a, the King Kong. The King Kong. Once I knew about the King Kong connection, yeah. and I think about the King Kong connection, I'm like... Wow. It would, it, it fits much better. It, and for yeah. it, it breaks it, it, it for me. Cause I'm just thinking this film would be so much better with King Kong. Not because Godzilla isn't doing a bad job, but he's, Ebora is a sea, mo- he's the sea monster. He's a giant uh, shrimp, which would be menacing to Kong because then he could try to drown Kong. But He's fighting against Godzilla, a character who has been known to live in the water. It doesn't work. Yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. there's not a single moment of that fight where Ibora would have had the advantage. Now, if it had been Kong and those underwater scenes, those would have been frightening because, you know, Kong is about to die. He's about to suffocate. Oh, no. He, get, he needs to get up and gas for water mm-hmm. and gas for air from the water.
0: What they do with the monster in deep? what they do with Godzilla specifically not just that, not just the fight with the with the sea in the sea and trying to drown him or whatever, which makes no sense. There's also the connection treating Godzilla like he should care about the beauty and the beauty and the beast kind of thing. Which isn't really a Godzilla thing, but it's certainly a King Kong thing. But it's not really a Godzilla thing. The connection between Godzilla and the woman in that film just seems like they should have excised that as well when they realized they weren't going to get Kong. But what I like about *Amira Horror of the Deep* and this is not the movie we're talking about, but I do like the music. I do like the the human characters, especially at the beginning, how they all kind of steal the boat together and accidentally. And I love the Red Bamboo as a villainous organization. I do like that quite a bit. No, I I hear what you're saying though. Your 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 criticisms and, and commentary on *Amira* are totally valid. We can still be friends, but I still, but I like that movie quite a bit.
4: Well, that's the thing. It's one of those, I like elements of it. Uh I mean, I like the red bamboo. I mean, I love the idea of organizations popping up that could monopolize over monsters, Uh you know, more world building, you know, the idea of it's a terrorist group that have kidnapped people from infant Island to do their dirty work and are using Ebora as a deterrent for anyone that would try to come after them. Mm -hmm. That sounds like a great idea. They're doing evil research and have uh, found a way to manipulate a monster as their guard dog. That sounds great. I want more of that. <laughs> it's just, you know, it's a Godzilla film and, you know, on the Godzilla side, it's not as good as it can be. I could see that. You know.
0: I mean, you're wrong, just but like, I uh, could see that. No, I'm just Yeah. <laughs>
4: well, just like I could probably appreciate Son of Godzilla more if I hadn't watched Godzilla's Revenge so many times. <laughs> because I had seen all of the majority of the fight scenes that take place in Son of Godzilla in Godzilla's revenge
0: already. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Right. I would have
4: preferred to uh, just see Son of Godzilla because Son of Godzilla is much more to what it is other than a couple hokey moments and stuff. I prefer just the talkless. Uh, I'm still growing menia compared to the voice dub of the Godzilla says I need to do this. <laughs> Hey, Davy! <laughs> I sound like uh, David and <laughs> and I would have had much more enjoyment of the character if I had seen it. But unfortunately, the distribution of Son of Godzilla wasn't as good as Godzilla's Revenge. So I saw Godzilla's Revenge first. It's much more touching to see Godzilla's Revenge because at the end, you know, the weather experiment goes wrong. Godzilla and Minya are experiencing cold. Godzilla's got a Hold his adoptive son close to keep him warm. That's very touching, and I really wanted to. That's, that's more complaint of viewing order more than anything, but it's just I think it's a little valid here, you know. I
0: of all the things that I thought we were going to talk about, and and I'd hear you say today, <laughs> I did not expect that. I did not expect your impersonation of the son of God. <laughs> Hey, Dave. <laughs> uh, you broke me, man. <laughs> right. I was wondering. Okay. All right. Whew. So, this movie it's good. Go see it. <laughs> uh, it. It is a great film. I think it holds up. I think it stands the test of time uh, in terms of the Godzilla movies, the show, a series of films specifically. I think it highlights what Soho could really do. And and I know they didn't have the biggest budget compared to some of the previous films and that sort of thing, but they put it all on screen. I love the image of the Zillions, especially when you get more than one on screen when, you, when you're in the room and you see all of them there. I love their costume. I love the production design. I love that Rodan gets a little bit more respect. Um, well, heck, Ghedra gets a lot of respect in this film too. And it's just a solid movie overall. I really, really dig it. And, and I would put it probably right up there, one of my favorites. I'd say maybe like my top two or three of the kaiju films from Toho.
4: Oh, yeah. Uh, still uh, tied for number two. I And both of them, both uh, Godzilla vs. Monster Zero versus uh, Godzilla vs. Biolanti are up there because, frankly, it's world building. It's just I love great world building and I love a world that feels like they know – that giant monsters exist and they make, make precautions for them. Do they, they react accordingly to how people should do things in a world with giant monsters? You know, They know about them. They're prepared for them. They know how to send teams out for investigative work in this one. Uh, Godzilla vs. Violence, starts with talking about the Godzilla warning system. Yeah. It, it always astonished me that later Showa films, people were like, holy crap crap there's a monster I'm just like did you just have one visit like last week or something
0: well well that's the I old mean, joke why didn't everybody move out of Tokyo you know that, that's the old joke right Godzilla turns up every other year move don't stay in Tokyo it's like it's like <laughs> insisting on living in a trailer park knowing that the hurricane or the tornado is gonna hit you yeah you know, it's just <laughs> move don't but yeah i do appreciate that they they recognize the continuity here oh that's Gidra. well you call him that we call him monster zero it, it's part of the history and it's the world building and i really enjoy and i think that's my biggest disconnect from the millennium series of the toho films is that everyone was like well we're ignoring everything but the first one and and that's fine and, and I get wanting to reboot and retcon and all that other stuff, but I also struggle with all that. And not just in the Godzilla movies, but in all of my media. You know, I'm starting to get back into reading comic books, and I'm bummed that Marvel is like, we're going to reboot everything again. Haven't you done this like four times in the past five years? I don't understand. You know,
4: They've done that four times in the last two years. Yeah. Too. <laughs> I'm just
0: getting back that's into why, it, so I don't know.
4: <laughs> that's why the only two movies I cling to are Godzilla uh, in the Heisei, in the Millennium series, are Godzilla Versus uh, against Mechagodzilla or Godzilla Mechagodzilla 3 and Godzilla Tokyo SOS because those do do the world building continuity, but they do it in a different way. You know, they only reference back to the original Godzilla, but they also reference Mothra for bringing in the microwave gun mm-hmm. and they reference War of the Gargantuas for the first appearance of the maser cannon. Yeah, yeah. So they actually do. Do world building and showcase that monsters have attacked we have a plan this is what we're going to use all our resources at our disposal to make something better so we're able to fight off godzilla when he returns again one thing leading to another leading to another it makes perfect sense
0: it's good stuff is there anything else we need to talk about the movie before we wrap up here i i I feel like i've had everything i wanted to say was there anything that we might have missed
4: Not that I can think of offhand. I mean, basically, go see this movie. We can't say it enough times, people. This movie is awesome. You should see it. This is the perfect jumping-on point if you're trying to become a kaiju fan. It keeps getting released over and over again. It actually says, according to Wikipedia, its current U.S. licensor is a Criterion collection, which I'm pretty sure means oh, you can get a Blu-ray oh, update. Oh. I've got to go out and rebuy a movie now. Well, oh,
0: God. I don't think they've been I, released yet, but they Toho did sign a deal, did make a deal with the Criterion people, and I think you can get them streamed now through whatever streaming service they have, uh, film-wise or whatever it is. I'm not 100% sure, but... There's been a lot of talk that these are the same people that aren't behind Criterion and there's a really good chance. And I don't know if it's confirmed. I, I could be behind the news on this one, but there are going to be some Criterion releases of a number of Toho Kaiju films coming here very soon. And I'm stoked because their Criterion release of Godzilla is stellar.
4: Ow, 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 ow. My ball is on fire. My wallet is on fire. It's right. moaning in pain. My wallet is moaning in pain.
0: Right. Man, Criterion does so much great work, and I'm so glad that every once in a while, well, actually pretty often now these days, they'll they'll shine their light on some amazing genre films, and uh, they never disappoint. Well, I mean, they never disappoint me as a movie viewer. As somebody who likes to have money, well, (laughs) they disappoint my bank account. Let's just say that. (laughs) but I'm looking forward to it. I know right now you can get, uh, if you have Amazon Prime, you can stream it there. You have to pay like $3.99 to stream it that way. I I haven't checked other online streaming resources other than uh, the Amazon one, but I know that Criterion's out there I have to figure out how that works. I'm not signed up for that, but you can get it. It's easy to get your hands on and see at this point, I guess is the bottom line. And so there's no excuse really. I mean, even if you're not a diehard Kaiju fan, like Anthony and I are, I feel like it's still a solid enough movie that even if you don't like giant monsters and if you don't, I, I'll still be your friend. But, you know, I my question it later, if you, if you don't like giant monsters, this is one that it doesn't matter. I mean, it's still a solid movie through and through. It's got the relationships. It's got the friendships, the the human uh, element, the, the villain. The main villains aren't the giant monsters. It's the zillions. And that's awesome. You know, it's, it's a great film. Very much so. So what is coming up for you in the future? Are you still writing for Monkeys Fighting Robots?
4: Just a couple articles right now. I'm working on uh, trying to increase my output for my creative writing, which has been hard with the uh, day job and all. Sure. But I am going to try to shoot for this year. I would like to have two books done by the end of the year.
0: Okay. No, are we talking novels at this point? We're going moving into fiction? Okay.
4: Yeah, full novels. I'm working on the first of a series, and I'll see where it goes from there. I'll see what the second half of the year brings. But if I keep it up and have an, – as long as I don't have more bad weeks like I just had, which wasn't really bad. It was just done, not as much got done as I was hoping. So, you know, fingers crossed, moving forward. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, I'll be able to uh, get things going.
0: Okay. Well, I wish you the best, man. I hope things work out. Uh, Like I said earlier, I've seen some sample chapters on what you're working on and (laughs) it's going to be awesome. Uh, I I can't wait to see how that turns out. And and if a publisher doesn't snatch it up, man, they're they're nuts because it'll be fun.
4: Thank you kindly.
0: Yeah, I think it's going to be great. So we'll make sure there's a link to your articles over at Monkeys Fighting Robots. And uh, anything else that comes up, please keep me posted. And, And next time. I'm going to try harder to make my schedule work with yours. we got to have you back on the show.
4: Thank you kindly. I love coming back.
0: Got to make it happen. Thanks again, man. Yep. Monkeyfightingrobots.co is where you're going to find the website that Anthony writes for So Go check that out. You can also get to it by going to monkeyfightingrobots.com. Anthony is a great guy. I'm so glad that he came back to the show and made time for me because really I know he says it was his fault too but it really wasn't it was really all me and I really appreciate uh, him taking the time to talk about these giant monsters with me he and I are going to talk about some other giant monster stuff down the line maybe later this year he and I can make that happen I can tell you though Daimajin is in our targets thanks again man and uh, you know even though you don't like Godzilla versus the sea monster as much as I do I still consider you a good friend
8: Godzilla Ebira and Mothra in one of the most explosive action pictures ever to hit the screen. From the depths of the ocean comes the most terrifying horror of the deep. From within the mountain caves comes the dreaded monster Godzilla. Most titanic battle ever screened when the monster of the deep challenges the mighty Godzilla
6: hi this is Jeff Owens from the Classic Horrors Club and I'm Richard Chamberlain from kccinephile.com and
4: monstermoviekid.wordpress.com We'd like to invite you to attend the next monthly meeting of the Classic Horrors Club on the Phantom Podcast Network. We think you'll enjoy our show, but don't take our word for it. Let's ask some of our listeners what they think. Excuse me, sir. What did you say after listening to the Classic Horrors Club podcast?
1: I'll never smile
4: again. Wow, that's a little mean.
1: How about
2: you, sir? Would you recommend the Classic Horrors Club podcast? It'll be very dangerous, not only for
5: you, but for others. Well, we do talk about classic horror from silent screen to Halloween and everything scary in between, but I don't think I'd call it dangerous.
2: I think that's enough from our listeners. I've always said we have the uh, best fans. Why don't you give us a try yourselves? We meet once a month during the Classic Horrors Club podcast on the Phantom Podcast Network, found at downrightcreepy.com or at classichorrors.club. Oh, wait, here's one more listener walking his pet.
5: What do you think of the Classic Horrors Club podcast? There's the stink of hell on this train. Even the dog knows it.
8: The mightiest monster the world has ever known. The mightiest egg the world has ever known. Introducing me, Son of Godzilla. The fantastic red water. One of the many weird natural phenomena on mysterious Sorghal Island. A great scientific experiment begins. Try another frequency. What is it? hmm? It seems as though something's jamming the wavelengths. (laughs) Son of Godzilla. A rollicking monster spectacular. (laughs) See how a baby monster becomes a monstrous monster. (laughs) Welcome. To an evening with Karloff, the master of menace in five fright-filled features. Watch breathlessly as the coffin opens to release the terror. Duck! (laughs) It's only a gallon, Poles, the raven. Join for us, Karloff. In the most gruesome day of the undead. Black Sabbath. And there are two more blood-chilling delights. Die, monster, die. And who knows, you may die. Laughing at the comedy of terrors. Five of Carlos' creepiest capers in Nightmare Colors. And you are invited. (laughs)
0: You know, I think there's no mistake that when you think about Frankenstein in the movies, you immediately go to Universal's version of Frankenstein, the Frankenstein that was portrayed by Boris Karloff. Yeah, I know, it's Frankenstein's monster, but you know what I meant. Karloff's version of the monster, the way he moves, the way he stands, the way he speaks, this is iconic. However... There was another actor who played Frankenstein's monster just as much, if not just a tiny bit more, and that's Glenn Strange, and he would pick up the mantle, the flat-topped mantle, uh, later in the series with House of Frankenstein, House of Dracula, and that and Kasella meet Frankenstein. Now, if you look at the original Frankenstein's monster and you look at the Glenn Strange version, they're they're a little different. I mean, Glenn Strange plays him very broadly. Uh, He's a caricature, basically, of what Karloff's version was. And, you know, it's not just the monster itself, but the films themselves do swing from one side to the other quite dramatically over the course of, say, 15, 16, 17 years. You start with these movies, Frankenstein, Bride of Frankenstein, even Son of Frankenstein. They're treated as A-pictures, and then things happen at Universal. But, you know, it's not just things happening at Universal and Lumley not being in charge anymore that led to, I believe, some of the changes in the Frankenstein films. There's also things happening in the world at large that kind of change things. For example, in Bride of Frankenstein, Lionel Atwell plays a character named Inspector Krogh. Now, I don't think they ever flat out say it, but he's very German, right? It's 1935. You got this German character. He's trustworthy. He's a hero. Later, Lionel Atwell turns up and goes to Frankenstein in 1942. And he's playing a character named Dr. Baumer. Now, again, they don't flat out say he's German, but he's very Germanic. And it's important to keep in mind that in 42, this is when the Allies in World War II... Finally start learning a little bit about what the Nazis have been up to, uh, with the camps and all all the atrocities in Europe, basically. So we we go from this this German guy and Germanish guy in Bride to this Germanish guy in Ghosts, and I mean it's very, very different. Plus, because the war is going on and there are some pretty horrific things happening, we can kind of see some of that reflected in Ghosts of Frankenstein. I mean, for crying out loud. At one point, there's talk of the monstrous brain being put into the body of a child, and to make that happen, the child has to die. I mean, that's, that's a horrible thing to think about. And really not something that you would see in, say, Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. So after the war, people don't want to deal with this stuff anymore. People don't want to see the atrocities, the horrors. They don't want to see this. And so you end up with things like House of Dracula and Abbot and Costello I mean Frankenstein, which is a little bit more lighthearted, a little bit more of a romp of things. And I, I find this fascinating when it comes to not just Frankenstein films, but film in general. If you look at what was going on in the world and how that impacted the pop culture at the time, really, really interesting. It does mean that in retrospect, we lose out on having any more Karloff as the monster. And really by the time Son of Frankenstein came along, he was, he was done. He he was ready to check out and they did bring him back for House of Frankenstein, but for a completely different role. But it was kind of nice to see him with the Frankenstein's monster one last time, the universal version. Anyway, he does turn up in another Frankenstein movie down the line, but we ain't there yet, folks. I do wonder when I look at these movies, if universal kind of lost control, let, let the monsters, kind of get away from them a little bit. In the beginning, Dracula, Frankenstein, the mummy. These three in particular, I think of, when I think of the classic monster movies, of the original Universal Cycle. I know there's an argument to be made for Phantom, a hunchback to be in there, but they were kind of a silent era thing and and completely different. These three original monsters uh, from this era are in films that are prestige pictures. They're treated very seriously. Lemley is, well, Lemley Jr., is very instrumental in making these movies what they are. And they're big hits. Frankenstein and The Mummy back-to-back really put Karloff on the map. And for better or worse, it typecast Bela Lugosi made it so that he can never be without a job as long as somebody wants to see him play Dracula, even if it's on a brinky-dink stage somewhere. As the films continue, I feel like they just kind of got viewed as properties. You know, they just started churning them out and, You know, people aren't really interested in seeing a lot of horror. Let's make them a little bit more fun, a little bit more lighthearted. Let's throw some money in it if we have to, to bring in Abbott and Costello. But you have to keep in mind that when Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein came out, they weren't necessarily at the peak of their career either. This really kind of served as an upswing, a way to bring them back into more prominent uh, position when it comes to pop culture. So. Really, these movies, I I hate to say it, but I get the impression based on the research that I've done that they were kind of throwaway pictures. Yeah, it's cool to see these movies. And yeah, the people making the movies, you know, Lon Chaney in particular, really, really worked hard to make these movies what they were. They they didn't phone it in. You know, it's cool to see Lugosi in Abbott and Consulting Meet Franklin and see him return as Dracula. Glenn Strange certainly brought his own take to the monster, and Jack Pierce, of course, is involved in the makeup still, so we still have some amazing monster design, but I just feel like that the the heads, uh, the people that were in charge from the beginning, just kind of lost control. And I'd like to read a quote from Boris Karloff. He's talking about Frankenstein's monster here when he says, The most heart-rending aspect of the creature's life was his ultimate desertion by his creator. It was as though man, in his bumbling, searching attempts to improve himself, was to find himself deserted by his god. And, okay, maybe I'm reaching, but when I hear something like that, sure, I mean, it's Karloff's take on Frankenstein's monster, and you can take it at face value, but I also can apply this to what I feel happened to Frankenstein's monster and Universal. Universal being the creator, and just kind of abandoned Frankenstein's monster after a while. Didn't throw as much money at the pictures. Didn't make the movies a pictures anymore. And, you know, ultimately, he was deserted. Now, Universal would jealously and legally protect its image of Frankenstein's monster, especially when they found out it would continue to make money for years to come. All sorts of stuff going on with trademark and copyright and all this other stuff, which we're going to talk about, I'm sure, during this series as we look at 200 years of Frankenstein. But, you know, in the end, no Universal, I don't think we'd have Frankenstein's monster as it exists today. And I think that's a very important thing, even though so many other studios had their hand on the monster, including Hammer Films. And we're going to talk about Hammer Films and their Frankenstein movies starting next week as we continue our look at 200 years of Frankenstein. Before we get to the feedback there's something i want to bring up i i don't know how much longer the sale is going to go for they're calling it the march madness sale and i don't know if that means it ends at the end of march but kino lorber is having a sale right now on a lot of their dvds and blu-rays and i'm seeing some pretty incredible prices you know not all of its monster movies not all of its genre films but they do have some pretty good prices on some of these genre films and uh, yeah, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't say that, uh, I, I'm, I'm wanting so many of these and, and some of them I already have. And, and man, I, I wish I had waited because there are some great prices here. Anyway, check out Kino Lorber. That's dot com, And you can check it out and see what kind of sales are having right now. Is it as good as a criterion sale? Well, it's not like things are completely half off in some cases, but yeah, it's pretty darn close. Besides, anytime you can buy a Blu-ray of Bela Lugosi's Invisible Ghost for 8 bucks, you can't pass that up. And speaking of Blu-rays, I want to take a second to say thank you to whoever sent me City of the Dead on Blu-ray. This is the Christopher Lee film, and... It's a great film. I really dig this movie. And the Blu-ray, I'm eager to get into. I want to see what's different about this version versus previous versions that have been released on disc and on blue. Here's the thing. I, I don't know who sent it to me. And while Monster Kid Radio does have an Amazon wish list, and, and thank you you know, for going to there and, and seeing the movie there and, and, and sending it my way. Unless you actually note that it's coming from you, Amazon doesn't tell me. So <laughs> whoever sent me City of the Dead... I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. It means a lot to me. Thank you. Why don't we go ahead and get my wife in here, and we'll do some of the emails. You want me to say
5: the name of the?
0: That's why I put it in there. I, I didn't. If I had all the energy,
5: world, I would make up baloney things that it was that the email said. Since you didn't review them.
0: <laughs> well, I read them when they first came in. Oh. So I I, I know basically, but I didn't like, yeah. I don't think there's any hard words or anything. That's what I was worried about. Wow.
5: (laughs) Well, thanks for scanning this for my ability level, Derek. I appreciate you. You're welcome.
0: (laughs) How would you feel about reading some emails? (laughs) I don't know. It might be too hard. They're they're, the word. Just, I'm sorry.
5: (laughs) Okay. From Tim Durbin, from Viewing the Classics at viewingtheclassics.blogspot.com.
0: Wednesday says hello. Maybe you heard Wednesday our cat. Maybe.
5: Yes, she finished. She helped me finish reading that sentence.
0: Well, that's true. You know, she's actually my unofficial official co-host, which makes you the third wheel. <laughs> it's true.
5: <laughs> Although, wh- how come you couldn't get her in frame when you did that little video this morning?
0: Uh, Because she's a cat and she does what she wants. Yeah, how
5: come you couldn't, like, lower the camera more? I tried, more? but... Was you... it on the stand?
0: No. I just was being awkward. I don't know.
5: We have that little hand. We have an
0: email from Kim, you know. <laughs>
5: So they got to see her ear, a lot of her ears.
0: Well, she has her own Facebook page. People can go look up Wednesday Potato Potato Demon. Demon.
5: It's German.
0: (laughs) They'll find her. Please like her page. She's very uh, um, insecure about how many people have liked her page so far. Are
5: you trying to collect likes on our cat's page?
0: Wednesday asked me to do it. No, no, You know, she's got 20 claws.
5: Eighteen. we looked this up and we were wrong. She has 18. claws. She was wrong.
0: She told everybody she has 20 claws.:
5: I understand she overcompensating.:
0: She may only have 18 claws, but she knows how to use 20 of them.
5: <laughs> it's true.
0: <laughs> She's still a vicious kitten when she wants to be.: Little murder machine potato demon.:
5: Yeah. All right. Hey, what's Tim say? He says, <laughs> "Hi, Derek hi tim i really enjoyed your discussion with jerry lamastus this week on the night it's
0: it's jeremy did i type it wrong
5: yeah it says lamastus
0: jeremy not jerry did i say jerry you sure did maybe you did maybe i misheard but (laughs) is that one of those big words
5: i totally understand why you read for big words now (laughs) i can't even say the normal ones right Are wow. last man, our last name's okay in this.
0: Yeah, Jeremy Lamassus was on the show. Yeah, see, here's how I okay. Here's how I view last names. When somebody writes in, if they've not been on the show and I've introduced them with their last name, I don't use their last name typically. If you haven't, oh, got it. Okay. But Tim has been on the show. Tim did uh, the most dangerous game with me on the show at one point. I'd love to have him back. I know he's dealing with some health stuff, but I'd love to have him back on the show at some point.
5: Is the most dangerous game the Fantastic
0: Five? The Classic Five?
5: What's the Fantastic Four? <laughs> yes, it's such a dangerous game for me. I can't even answer anything.
0: The Fantastic Five is like when one of the Fantastic Four calls him sick, but he has to go into work anyway, so he brings a buddy to kind of help him out. Oh. So, who who would be the fifth Fantastic Four? Probably like Spider-Man. He hung out with him a lot.
5: Oh, he hung out with him oh. a lot.
0: Oh. Yeah, hey, what's Tim say? <laughs> Don't know. <laughs> hey, you know what? Hmm. There is, uh, speaking of Spider Man, <laughs> I started following a bunch of uh, comic book YouTube channels. Mm-hmm. One of them is called Nerd Sync, and they did a video, or he did a video on YouTube about how Spider Man. Uh, when he was first created, could have very well been a horror character. And it's a fascinating YouTube video. I'll include a link in the show notes, maybe even embed the YouTube video. This is completely unsolicited and all that. I I haven't been in contact with the NerdSync guys, but I I should because I love what they do. But it was a really interesting uh, take on how, I mean, the idea of, becoming a spider is pretty darn horrific hmm. and if you look at the time when marvel was creating spider-man they had other characters like the hulk which was a jekyll and hyde thing mm-hmm. and, and Stanley lee went on record as saying sam uh, uh jekyll and hyde and and the frankenstein's monster and all these were influences on on a lot of the stuff the hulk especially so it wouldn't be a stretch to say that potentially spider-man who has got all these abilities of a spider now could have had some horror stuff going if they had just tweaked it a little bit. Mm. Really interesting. Like I said, I'll include the YouTube link. Has nothing to do with what we're about to talk about in this email, but... I just read a cracked article. Oh, <laughs>
5: Potentially, you'll cut this all out, but it was super interesting about Jekyll and Hyde. Wasn't something happening necessarily to this guy. He wanted that because he was restricted by society's norms. So he wanted a situation in which he could have fun and behave poorly. He even set up like cleaners and a bank account, everything for Mr. Hyde. So Mr. Hyde,
0: is it Mr. Jekyll? Dr. Jekyll? Dr. Jekyll is the is the the good guy yeah
5: so they he set up a bank account for mr hyde he set up so that he could behave poorly and have more fun and only
0: brought it to an end when
5: murder happened like you do you wrap things up
0: i've i've heard that take on jekyll and hyde and i feel like there are some films that kind of explore that quite a bit i think hammer's Uh, Jekyll and Hyde, the first one they did, not Dr. Jekyll and Sister Hyde, but the actual proper Jekyll and Hyde. Look at you bringing it back. You know, the take on it's really interesting. Actually, this gives me an excuse to play the Jekyll and Hyde trailer in your show, because I try to play trailers that are relevant to things that pop up in the show, so thank you for giving me that. Should we give credit to the Cracked article? I'll put a link in the show notes if you can find the article for me.
5: five books that you were forced to read in
0: high school that you interpreted incorrectly. Who was forced to read Jekyll and Hyde in high school? I oh, know,
5: but that was a cool high school. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I picked up Jekyll and Hyde at a book fair in a library where they would bring in uh, all these books, and you'd walk into the library, and they had all these books set up, and you'd get one book. I, I stole another one. <gasps> did
5: I tell you that I stole one once, too?
0: <laughs> I, I picked up Jekyll and Hyde and The War of the Worlds.
5: I stole one, but my gym teacher saw me do it and um, made me uh, bring it back, but did it as like okay, this person who stole a book has to bring it back. And when I didn't.
0: (laughs) Oh, wow. He called you out? Directly.
5: Yes, but I think I might have taken the stickers out of the book.
0: There were stickers in your book?
5: I was really young. Wow. (laughs) I was really young. I can't believe we both stole a book from something where you're only supposed to get one. We're terrible people. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, uh, do we have an email? (laughs) <laughs> Tim really enjoyed your discussion with Jeremy Lamastis this week on the 1940 film You'll find Out. I'm a fan of that film as well. I grew up listening to old-time big band music, but never found any recordings or knew much about Kay Kaiser until I saw this movie. I had first learned about the film several years ago when compiling as complete a listing as I could of classic science fiction and horror movies from reference books and the internet, but never was able to see it until it played on the TMC. Or is that TMC? It's not the TMC.
0: It's actually TCM.
5: And that's what it says. Should we talk about how I'm having a rough RA day? <laughs> Things aren't working super Your
0: rheumatoid arthritis is kind of, yeah. <laughs> so I appreciate you doing the emails, even though your joints are like, no. But clearly my brain, too. Well, I wasn't going to say that. <laughs>
5: My jaw joints are so sore. Should you even be doing this? I don't know. Well, let's see how much more I screw it up and then make a decision. Because okay. it's the brain factor that sort of limits Fair my ability. Fair enough. Okay. So, he was trying to compile a listing of classic science fiction and horror movies. Wasn't able to see. You'll find out until it played on TCM long before the Warner video release. The music is probably a turnoff for serious horror fans and scholars, but I enjoy it. And we get a nice variety of love ballads, novelty songs, and music integrated with humorous bits for the band members, including an opportunity for lead singer Harry Babbitt to use his high-pitched falsetto voice, as he did in several songs for the band over the years. Kaiser's band used a lot of humor in their act, and all the accounts I've read have indicated they had so much fun performing together, and it really shows on the screen. I'm so sorry to make so much editing.
0: It's okay. No, it's fine. It's fine. It's real. We're keeping it real.
5: Does that mean you're not going to edit the errors out? Because <laughs> no, That
0: wasn't really an error. That was just like a little pause, like a dramatic. I thought you were doing it for dramatic purposes. <laughs> no, it
5: was. Okay. I've seen a number of other popular band leaders showcased in musical movies, and I don't think it's too much of a stretch to say that Kaiser was the best actor among all of them. And that's right, you're wrong, 1939, he plays a very effective comedic routine with a young Lucille Ball, and in Swing Fever 1943, which is my favorite among his non-genre films, he entertains as the romantic lead who also has the ability to hypnotize anyone with his lazy eye. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) You can only look at him in his one eye. (laughs) (laughs) I think the best thing about You'll Find Out is the way they balance the comedy with Karloff Lugosi and Laurie's evil shenanigans. And it's great to see them all together. And did you notice in the secret room in the mansion, the dinosaur models that apparently come from Willis O'Brien's workshop? According to Glenn Erickson's review of the DVD, at dvdtalk slash dvdsavant slash s3029horr.html.
0: I'll make sure there's a link to that in the show notes, too. <laughs>
5: <laughs> the giant spiders from the cut spider pit sequence in King Kong are also there.
0: I love this movie so much.
5: Did you talk about the music at all? It sounds like a weird mix of love songs or love ballads. So
0: it's the big band music of the era, right? Mm-hmm. And Kay Kaiser is the, the band leader and he has a radio show called the, the music, the college of musical knowledge, I think is what it is anyway. And, and that's kind of the framing device that he's got this band with Harry Babbitt and all these women. Ish Kabibble is a member of the band. Ish Kabibble. Yeah. Um, and they do these musical numbers. Bless you. <laughs> and they're actually worked into the story. Like they're contracted to go to a birthday party for some girl who graduated college and they get to this big spooky house and the three bad guys are trying to figure out a way to scam the money and kill somebody and in the meantime Kay Kaiser's trying to keep it together and they do a musical number to kind of calm the guests and it's really cool. I love this movie a lot. I know it doesn't get the greatest reviews when you look at the collaborations of Karloff and Lugosi but for me it really delivers.
5: Too bad they didn't have the hypnotizing lazy eye to calm everybody
0: down. (laughs) I haven't seen any of the other Kay Kaiser films but I've started to uh, compile a list and I'm going to try to get my hands on them. Uh, I know they're not genre films, but, you know, I like classic cinema, too. And, and I would be down for some more K. Kaiser madness. Tim's awesome. I, I do want to have him back on the show at some point. Maybe later this year, man. And I'm going to go ahead and cut that off there. We do have more feedback that Brenda will be back next time to continue reading here on the show. Big thanks to her for being a trooper and and actually doing the emails when she feels so poorly. She's awesome. Not because she feels poorly, but just, you know. Huge thanks to my wife for doing that. I love podcasting with my wife. She's awesome. I know sometimes when she and I start talking, we go pretty off topic. But, you know, I miss podcasting with her. We used to do it every week on my old zombie movie podcast. And to have her in the mix. I mean, I hope you guys and gals dig it at least half as much as as I do. Anyway. Thanks to her, and thanks to you for being part of the show, for writing in. You can always send us an email at monsterkidradio at gmail.com, or if you're feeling fancy, you can always call and leave us a voicemail. Our voicemail line is 503-503. 479-5657. That's 503-4795-MKR. You can also find this over on our website at monsterkidradio.net, where you're going to find links to everything that we've talked about here on the show. I'll make sure there's a link to that Cracked article that she mentioned. I'll make sure there's a link, or at least I'll embed the YouTube video that I mentioned about Spider-Man being a horror creation. And, well, everything else, too. Monkeys fighting robots and just everything you need to know about the podcast It's right there. I'll also make sure there's a link to the Rondo Hatton Classic Horror Awards over at RondoAward.com. You can still vote. The ballot is still open. You can vote for your favorite movie, DVD, commentary, restored DVD or movie or Blu-ray, TV series, magazine cover, magazine article, and multimedia site, which Monster Kid Radio is up for. And it means a lot to be on the ballot. I know I say it every week means a lot to be on the ballot. It's just to be nominated and and to be included in the mix with all these other amazing podcasts and other multimedia sites is so cool. You can also vote to induct some people into the Monster Kid Hall of Fame. This is completely open. They're asking for six names, Suggest six names to be inducted into the Hall of Fame. And I've been really pushing for Rico Browning to be inducted, but Dr. Gangrene, Larry Underwood, posted earlier today on Facebook that Elvira is not in this Monster Kid Hall of Fame. That's nuts! We need to get her in there too, so please consider voting for Elvira if you haven't already done so. I know we're getting to the end here. April 8th is the deadline for the ballot. Please check out RondoAward.com or just email T-A-R-A-C-O at AOL.com with your picks for this year's Rondo Hatton Classic Horror Awards. I'll also make sure there's a link in the show notes to Monster Bash. Oh, man, we're getting closer. Less than three months away, I just spoke with somebody earlier today to secure my ride from the airport to the convention. I've had a handful of you guys and gals reach out to me and offer to get me from the airport to the convention Thank you so much. I may still reach out to you if things don't work out, but I I, I feel pretty confident that I'll be able to get, get there at this point. I am so eager to meet you guys and gals at Monster Bash in person, and it, it's going to be a treat. I know that a number of Monster Kid Radio regulars will be there. I've mentioned them before. Dominique Lamsey, Scott and Tracy Morris are going to be there. Joshua Kennedy is going to be there. And I just found out earlier today. And I don't know if he told me before and I just spaced it, but Micah Harris, who was on the show a while back to talk about the movie, the woman eater, he's going to be at monster bash as well. And speaking of Micah Harris, he sent me a link to an article that he posted over at 18th wall productions. It's about Ruth Rose, who's a very important person when it comes to the history of all things, King Kong. Well, the article is titled just like in the movies, Ruth Rose. It's not a lost film. It's just that nobody's looking. Really cool article. I'm going to make sure there's a link to this in the show notes as well. I think that brings us to the end of the show. Can you think of anything else that I've missed? I I think we're good. But if there is something I've missed, please consider letting me know about it over on Facebook. We have a Facebook page that you can like and a Facebook group that you can join. Also please consider leaving us an honest review in the iTunes Store. I really appreciate all the retweeting of the tweets and the likes on Instagram and everything else that we're doing. Is it a like or is that a heart? How whatever it is you do on I think you double tap Instagram. Is that how that works? Anyway, I just appreciate everybody's support here for what we do on Monster Kid Radio. Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0, unported license. Of course, that doesn't apply to the song Longing for Distance because that belongs to the surf band Beware of Blasts. It's from their EP release, The Legacy, which you can pick up over at bewareofblast.bandcamp.com. You can buy the EP four songs for four euros. Check it out. Let them know that you heard about them here on Monster Kid Radio. You know what? I didn't tell you what's coming up next week. (laughs) So let's sneak that in. You know what's coming up next week? I already mentioned Monster Bash. We're going to talk more about Monster Bash because Ron Adams, the hardest working Monster Kid I know, is going to be on the show next week. We're going to talk about Monster Bash. We're going to play the Classic Five. We're going to talk about all things monsters. That's going to be fun. So come back next week for that. My name is Derek M. Cook. Talk to everybody then. Ciao.